Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Nothing Impossible. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on News Radio 1120 KMOX. Welcome to the home of innovation conversation in St. Louis, Michael. And Travis. And listeners, what do games, camping, and store-based robots have in common? <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin with that. So first off, we are going to play around a little bit and talk with Carol Mertz, who is with the Pixel Pop <laughs> Festival that is in St. Louis this weekend. And then we're going to talk about camping and maybe a little cross that with Airbnb. Yeah, what if you have some extra land, maybe not an extra couch, but some extra land out in uh, Lake of the Ozarks and you just want to let people come camp on it? Yeah, or maybe you like to go camping and you just like to find a nice turnkey camping spot. Well, there's an app for that. We'll talk about that. And then we'll also talk about uh, what you might see in three local schnooks, some robots roaming the aisles. Yeah, they're taking stock of what products are there and which products aren't so that you don't have to... You know, that's always so annoying when you go to the grocery store, you've got to get just that one thing and then the shelf is empty. Yeah, so robots can probably provide some real-time data of what's going on in the aisles. And so, yeah, we'll we'll listen to that, talk about that story as well. Yeah, and what is Schnucks going to do with all that data? Something pretty fun. We'll talk about that as well. All of that just ahead on Nothing Impossible right here on KMOI. Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. All right, welcome back in, and we love to talk about the gaming industry here in St. Louis, Travis. Uh, But people don't, I don't know if people really understand how robust the gaming industry is, Mm. not just from digital games, but from board games and all the way across the the spectrum. And we have a quite the gamer herself on the phone with us, or actually on Skype with us right now, Carol Mertz, who is one of the brains behind the Pixel Pop Festival, which happened this weekend in St. Louis. Carol, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. First of all, before we jump into Pixel Pop, like, tell us about the St. Louis gaming scene. So St. Louis is actually huge for game development and game creation. We have not only a really powerful video game community, we have uh, Butterscotch Shenanigans, which had one of Time's top 10 games of 2016. Uh, We have Happy Badger Studio and Woody Studio and uh, lots of other really great studios that have just recently released games for PlayStation 4 and Steam. Um, We also have some of the most successful board game creators in the country. We have Greater Than Games, who are the producers of Sentinels of the Multiverse. And we also have Stonemeyer Games, um, who is the producer of uh, really incredible kickstarted games like Scythe and uh, Euphoria and Viticulture. So really, I mean, it's, it's a very notable industry and it's just growing every year. I mean, the, the more we have events like Pixel Pop Festival and the more we continue to support 
uh, local innovation and local community for game creators, the more it just booms. And it's fantastic to see. And we have uh, Maryville University, which has the very successful esports uh, team and, and effort. So it really, if for those parents out there that are listening, I think this maybe sounds a little cliche, but if your kids are playing video games, it is quite all right. <laughs> like there, it, is, yeah. it is an industry that actually, uh, you know, creates an economic boom. But tell us a little bit about Pixel Pop Festival. How many years has this been going on? Pixel Pop Festival just had its fourth year at the St. Louis University Bush Student Center. Uh, we've, we've been doing it for the last several years. We originally created it just to have some sort of uh, kind of central hub, a central resource for local game creators. And we realized how important it was for regional game creators to have something, a place where they could go to share experiences, get feedback on their projects, talk about the work that they're doing and really garner inspiration from other developers doing similar things in the area. And it's really just grown over the last several years. We've seen more and more developers from all over the United States, from all corners of the country, which is really exciting that you know more and more people are realizing that St. Louis is a place to come to experience and to learn about game creation. What do you think, Carol, has led to so many of these companies uh, being based here and the interest at Maryville. And I love how we make the games here and we're also champions at playing the games in St. Louis as well. We've yeah. got the whole spectrum. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of factors about what makes St. Louis such a great place to create, obviously. And the thing that everybody talks about is just that, you know, it's the cost of living here is, is so much less than somewhere on the coast. We have, you know, there are huge game, uh, game communities in, you know, San Francisco and Seattle and New York and, places like this, but it's, it's, you know, going to be two or three times as expensive to, to run a company in those spaces. So if you're running a studio, if you're creating work or art or, or entertainment in a place like St. Louis, you can pay yourself a lot less and still have a really great, um, a, a great life, you know? <laughs> so, um, I think, I think that's a huge part of it is that we're able to find success a lot more easily if you can you know if you can if you can imagine why i would say that is success is 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 less expensive to achieve <laughs> in a city like st louis you know what i mean yeah um but beyond that the community because we're all coming from this space where we don't have a lot of um we have a couple of corporations that do game related work like riot games and nvidia um, but we don't have a lot of places where we can gain large scale experience. And so we're all really largely learning together and supporting each other from the ground up. And so we have this really exciting, unique, independent community here that just goes out of our way to support each other, to really provide as many resources for each other as possible and to continue to really push toward this tight knit, incredibly supportive community. And I think that's what makes St. Louis and a lot of independent game communities very special. And Carol, you mentioned this is the fourth year for the uh, Pixel Pop Festival. Um, mm -hmm. And so you've got this history of bringing in these speakers and having these topics. And so what's on the agenda for this weekend? Uh, any specific focus maybe that the festival had this year? Uh, the festival, really, we try to run the gamut with theme and topic so that really no matter what your interest is in the game space, you'll find something that that really speaks to you. Our, our uh, keynote speaker was Rebecca Salzman, who is the CEO of a studio called Finji, which is actually based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. They used to be based out of Austin, Texas, and moved back to the Midwest. Um, they've done some really incredible award-winning, uh, pardon me, award-winning indie games. 
uh, including games like Feist and Panoramical and Night in the Woods. And they're currently working on a game called Overland. And they've just made some incredible work. Um, and so she came out and uh, gave us our, our keynote on Saturday. We also have uh, a number of local, like notable local uh, game industry folks like Aurelian, Erin uh, Wayne, uh, her, her industry name is Aurelian, but she's a content creator and the community manager for Twitch. And she ran several uh, game panels on what's called content creation in the industry. That's people like YouTubers and streamers and uh, people who you think of the idea of playing games for a living. These people are entertainers. These people play games on screen, on the internet, um, and it's a really important part of the industry right now. And she helped to provide a space to answer questions about what that means in the industry. So that was really cool. Um, we also had um, a number of people come in from around the country. We had Jacob Vander End from Philadelphia come in and run a panel on what it's like to make a game completely by yourself with no one else on the team. Mm. Uh, we had Tammy Duplantis come in from the Bay Area in California to talk about creating uh, musical instruments for games, like digital musical instruments for games. Just so, so cool. Um, and, you know, we've also got folks coming down from Chicago, coming up from Austin. Um, so it's, it's, we're seeing just some really incredible, um, some really incredible diversity in speakers and location and themes. We're talking to uh, Carol Mertz, who is a local game developer in St. Louis. Is that the right uh vernacular you are a game developer i'm a game developer game i developer? so some people call you know only digital game developers i create digital experimental and tabletop so i consider myself an independent game creator really okay wonderful wow. uh, and you are uh, one of the brains behind uh the pixel pop festival which happened this year uh, this is a uh, an embarrassing fact about me i am really crappy at video games that's not the embarrassing fact me but too. i but i actually really love watching video games and i remember uh in the with the first generation nintendo I would put in our Monopoly game and just set the computer to play itself, and then I would bet on who I thought would win, which uh, Trinket would win, and I would just sit and watch Monopoly being played. Does, is Twitch like the top tab on your computer, Travis? It, it really, I, mean, I can just watch people play video games for hours. It is so entertaining. Uh, and I think it's because of the design of these games. I mean, the, uh, it, really is, yeah. it really is entertainment. Uh, now, Carol, you've also designed a game. I mean, I, you've probably designed several, but there's one that I know that I own, uh, which is Pass the Buck, and it's a tabletop card game. How, uh, mm -hmm. What was that process like? Just tell us a little bit about what you went through to not only produce the game, but also bring it to market. Yeah. Oh, man, that one was an experience. So that <laughs> one, the, the full name of the game is important. It's called Pass the Buck, a game of corporate responsibility management. And so that gives you an idea of my mindset behind designing the game. It was, it's, it's satire. It was really designed to be catharsis to help me deal with poor uh, corporate task management that I had to deal with when I was working for uh, my former studio at Rampant Interactive. Um, and so, you know, we were working with these corporate clients and I just kept getting these emails saying, no, that's not my job. That's this guy's job. No, that's not my job. That's this person's job. And I, it, it would go on for months. And I was like, if I don't turn this into a game mechanic, <laughs> I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> so I decided to make fun of it instead of dealing with it the way that normal people would. And so I, you know, I came up with a rule set. I wrote down all the rules and I started prototyping it. Um, and prototyping, it means just, you know, creating a physical, a really kind of low quality physical 
copy of it that I could start playing with friends to experiment so I could change the rules and tweak it so that it would be fun. And I, I played it in a prototype phase uh, for over a year, play testing over and over and changing and, and play testing and changing and play testing. You'll hear this from a lot of designers that play testing and iterating is a, the core part of the design process. So once I was content with the design, I went ahead and took it to Kickstarter, which is just a fantastic resource for ind independent creators of all kinds, where you know people will throw, I, I wound up with $11,000 to produce a physical run mm. of my card game. Um, and that's $11,000 that some friends and some strangers gave me to literally help me make my dreams come true um, in producing a game. And so I, I sent off for a print run. I ordered the copies uh, internationally and had them produced internationally and freighted to the States. And um, then I did all of the fulfillment and all of the, um, all of the, uh, all of the everything, <laughs> merchandising and everything myself. And um, now they're available for sale on amazon.com, but everything has been done by me. Um, and it's, it's been an incredible learning process just to find out what it takes to actually create and produce a product like that. You know, it's incredible to think about, um, in this day and age, I guess, when everything is digital and everything's on your phone and we're getting rid of physical, you know, stuff, there's nothing like playing a card game with cards. Oh yeah. yeah that's right? true. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, and, and Carol, what I appreciate about, uh, pass the buck, what is the full title? Pass the buck. Pass the buck, a game of corporate responsibility management. What I love about that game uh, <laughs> is that uh, it really can be cathartic for people. And I think that we are seeing more and more people find new reasons to play games. It's not just about entertainment. Sometimes uh, in the educational space, there's gaming uh, to learn. Uh, in the corporate space, there's gaming to enhance customer experience. Uh, do those types of types of games and concepts come out during Pixel Pop as well? Not just games for entertainment, but games for other purposes? Oh, absolutely. We our, our tagline is celebrating unique games and the people who make them possible. The idea is to really express that games aren't just mindless child's play. <laughs> games and interactive entertainment are a core part of how we learn and how we grow and how we communicate. And so we see all kinds of experimental games, whether they're educational or if they're, you know, trying to communicate emotion, we're seeing we're seeing more people experiment with the idea that games don't need to be fun. Games just need to provide an experience. And so um, we even we even have uh, Pamela Gay, who is a regional astronomer uh, with the Astronomical Society of the um, Northwest. I want to say <laughs> uh, she runs a really popular astrono astronomy podcast, and she's coming out to show her card game. Um, uh, CosmoQuest that is designed to teach uh, astronomy concepts through gameplay. Uh, and then we have other, other game developers who are designing games to help them express emotions and help them express deep, you know, difficult concepts that would be hard to really wrap our minds around in just, you know, a, a, a less interactive form. Uh, so a lot of people actually say that games can help us kind of garner a little bit more empathy than other forms of media might be able to because we not only are experiencing the the medium we're actually participating in it mm. um, and I think that that's a really really important thing to remember as we think about games as a medium maturing and growing into a core part of entertainment culture 
Well, you can read all about these speakers and about Pixel Pop Festival at pixelpopfestival.com. Carol Mertz, thank you so much for joining us on Nothing Impossible. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be a part of this show. All right, take care and continued success, not just with Pixel Pop Festival, but everything that you do as well, Carol. Thank you, Travis. And more Nothing Impossible after this on KMOX. It's that time of the year. Wow, look at that, the green cloud. I see the photo cloud starts to drop. Everything's gone. It looks like everything was turned into rubble. Tornado season is here, and severe weather can break out at any time. I've never seen anything like this. Stay informed. Stay up to date. Get the latest forecast every 10 minutes, mornings and afternoons. And when severe weather hits, the KMOX Air Comfort Heating and Cooling Storm Center impossible. will be there for What's you. It's up to date, up to minute. St. Louis's News. Traffic and weather. KMOX. And now, back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. Oh, what a beautiful weekend this has been in St. Louis. The weather after 90s and 100s for so long. Temp- high temperatures in the 70s, Travis. Makes me want to get out of town and go camping. I know, right? But, but where do I go? Exactly. Where do you begin? Let's... Talk about that. Maybe get some advice from Alyssa Ravasio, who is with Hip Camp. It's a new app that can help you do exactly that. And she joins us right now on KMOX. Thank you uh, so much for calling in on Skype. And Alyssa, tell us about Hip Camp. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so, Hip Camp um, unlocks access to private land. We work with landowners. Imagine anyone from you know, a farmer, a rancher, maybe someone who's just, you know, stewarding hundreds of acres to create new places for people to camp and get outside on their property. And by camp, we mean everything from, you know, a real wilderness experience where you're showing up and bringing your own water all the way up to really, you know, beautiful tree houses that have beds and, you know, no tent, no problem. You can still go camping. So uh, would this be analogous to an Airbnb uh, for homes, but this is really about land and getting out to the outdoors? Yeah, so that's a, definitely a really a great way to put it. The way we look at it, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of Airbnb. I use them whenever I'm going to, to cities, like you said. But if you want to get outside, if you want to go into nature, that's what Hip Camp's all about. And so it's, it's really different in that regard in terms of what, you know, what people are looking for. All right, so likely like. Like we mentioned, the weather has been fantastic here in St. Louis. Uh, So maybe some uh, examples you could give us of some cool campsites or experiences or tree houses or whatever might be in the in the vicinity around us here. Yeah. So pretty close to you guys. Um, One of my favorites is the Big Oak Treehouse. So you can search on Hip Camp for Big Oak Treehouse. Um, it's a beautiful treehouse, really well well built, well designed, and has incredible views of the sunrises and sunsets, which I think is really special. You can spend a whole weekend just up in this tree um, watching the sun go by. So that's one of my favorites. Um, also pretty close to you guys is a called 15-acre wood on the lake. Um, and it's just this gorgeous, you know, 15 acres of forest. And when you're there, you kind of have it to yourself. So it's really private. Um, you know, really unique. That's one of the reasons why people love going out on hip camps is unlike, you know, a lot of the public campgrounds as much as we, you know, love and support public parks. It's really nice sometimes to find a campsite where, you know, it's just going to be you and your friends or maybe just you, (laughs) uh, you and your family, whichever you prefer. Um, It's a really special experience to have. 
Well, I, uh, I'm from California originally, and I uh, grew up just at the base of three national parks, uh, Yosemite, Kings Canyon, and Sequoia National Park. And at least twice a year, I would do a three-day excursion just by myself. Uh, but what I hated is when I would go to those national parks, I wouldn't be just by myself. <laughs> right? I, right. I, there's so many people around. So uh, if this was around 15 years ago, it would have been awesome, but I want to take advantage of it now. How important, do you see your users doing a lot of just personal exploration? Do you see them going out with big groups? What, what do you see the use case the most here? Yeah, so we've got a, a huge range, kind of the big buckets. We see our, you know, friends and group camping is really popular. Um, actually, one of the biggest trends in camping right now is that millennials are camping like crazy. And the behavior we're seeing most commonly there is kind of going either as couples or as a group of friends. Um, we also see a lot of family camping, especially this past year. That's really started to to take off. And then plenty of solo camping. One of our most popular blog posts of the whole year, of all of 2017, has actually been solo tips for uh, solo female campers. And that's done really well because a lot of women, you know, they want to get out there. They want to go by themselves. They might have some fear around that or even just feel like maybe it's not okay to do from a societal standpoint. And it's a really well-written blog that just says, you know, here's how to do it. Here's how to stay safe. And here's why it's a really, you know, valuable experience to have um, as a solo traveler. Now tell us, Alyssa, about nature deficit disorder. And, (laughs) you know, it's been hot here. People are working. They've been inside. Tell us about NDD and what what Hip Camp uh, is doing to try to remedy that for people. Sure. So I look at nature and getting outside as the antidote to so much of modern society's ailments. You know, everything from all these screens and feeds and alerts. Um, it's just really overwhelming our systems. To be honest, we did not evolve to live in a society that moves this fast with this many stimulus. And so I think really being able to get outside and unplug from it all um, is showing, you know, not only incredible, you know, health benefits on a mental standpoint, but even on a physical standpoint. So nature deficit deficit disorder is this term that's really been used to coin really a whole slew of ailments that can be linked back to not having enough time outside. So we now have doctors prescribing getting outside, going hiking, going camping as a, a way to cure everything from anxiety ADD, depression, sleep disorders. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I think we're just at the really early stages of learning, you know, how important it is for people to spend time in nature. When you see people going out and spending time in nature, uh, does that help them have a better appreciation of land and be better stewards of land? You know, if if I go camp somewhere and I stay t- spend time in a beautiful meadow, I'm going to be least, uh, less inclined to be a litter bug, maybe not just there, but even in my home park, because I see the beauty of nature and the cycle that we're in. What does Hip Camp look at when, it, as it relates to triple bottom line and just really people becoming good stewards of land? Yeah, that's so core to our whole, you know, thesis and values and why we're building this company. We believe really firmly that people are going to protect what they love, and if they're not getting outside, they're not going to have that love for the outdoors and for nature. And so we think that, you know, getting people outside is really the, the, the first step in helping develop their awareness of, you know, everything from, you know, sustainability to, you know, being a good volunteer in a park and maybe doing a cleanup day. Um, it's a really important first step. So as a company, what we get excited about is, you know, we're growing really fast right now and that's really exciting. 
um, you know, there's also really in, incredible impact happening with that. So in addition to people getting outside and developing this love and appreciation for nature, they're also, when you're camping on private land, providing direct income that's supporting these landowners in taking, you know, beautiful care of their property. And I think that's something really special, um, an experience you can have on hip camp that is, I think, really even above and beyond, you know, what often happens on public land, which is you really get hosted by somebody who has dedicated their life to taking good care of a big piece of land and learning how they live, how they think, what they've learned. Um, it's just such an incredible cultural experience. And it's something that, you know, people on hip camp are, are just loving. And it's not, you know, not every experience is going to have that component, um, but you can find ones that do. And I think it's a really unique opportunity. Well, I encourage everybody to grab their uh, tattered copy of Walden <laughs> and find a plot of land to call your own and do some enjoying. Yeah, and the eclipse is coming up too. So we've got, you know, so many good campsites left on the path of totality really close to you guys. Some are as low as 50 or $60 for the night. So wow. I think um, for this incredible natural phenomenon coming our way, it's uh, what better place to be to enjoy it than in nature itself, right? So where can people go is uh, download an app or go to hipcamp.com or what's the best way to check out the options? Yeah, so it's hipcamp.com, uh, H-I-P-C-A-M-P for now, um, and an app coming out uh, soon, but for now, uh, just the website. All right. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And coming up next, we'll take you behind the scenes, introduce you to the newest robot that's roaming the aisles at Schnooks. That's up next on KMOX. Get the latest from the Cardinals from manager Mike Matheny on the Safe GM Country Mike Matheny Show, Sundays at 10.15, exclusively on your home for best Cardinals coverage, KMOX. And now, back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. All right, welcome back. The next time you go to Schnucks to pick up something real quick, maybe on the way home from work, you might have to navigate around a robot as you navigate the aisles of the grocery store. And it has to be a robot. It can't be a droid because I think uh, George Lucas refer owns everything that's called a droid. Except uh, for the cell phones. Except for the cell phones. But a robot <laughs> in schnooks, huh? Yeah. They're, uh, they're not stocking the shelves, but they're checking uh, these robots or scanning to see what's, uh, what's empty. Do the cans of corn need to be replenished or the boxes of cereal facing the wrong way? Stuff like that. So it's a quality control, inventory control type robot? Yeah, right. at least that's the beginning. Uh, let's bring you my conversation with Brad Bogolia, who's the founder and CEO of Symbi Robotics, based in Silicon Valley. And they are providing these robots, which are called Tally, by the way, T-A-L-L-Y. They're the ones providing these robots to Schnooks. And so here's my conversation with Brad Bogolia inside of the Richmond Heights Schnooks. So tell me how widespread this technology is. Is Schnucks one of the first adopters? Yes. Uh, Schnucks is actually one of the first retailers to try Tally. We've been doing pilots for about 20 months now um, across sort of mass market, grocery, uh, drugstores, as well as sort of dollar value chains. Uh, but Schnucks is one of sort of the very early adopters um, that's leading the charge in, in the grocery segment. And tell me about the company, uh, Robotics Company, or is this your first major product? Or tell me about what you do. Sure. Uh, so the company was founded about three years ago. Our original mission was you know, really to bring robotics technology to an enterprise market that could really help people uh, and focus on it, a data-driven problem. 
And that ultimately led us to retail and kind of aligning around the challenges of keeping track of tens of thousands of units of merchandise in you know, a very dynamic environment. Um, so our goal with Tally is to really you know, help retailers ensure products are always stocked in the right place and have the right price uh, and really enhance the customer experience. Uh, and Tally is a solution that's designed to really work in partnership with uh, the store staff um, and, you know, help them understand where, you know, where there might be sort of gaps in the shelf and allow them to focus on the more meaningful tasks that we're better at as humans, such as, you know, customer service, restocking, you know, those sorts of things. How does the technology work? Is this kind of like a self-driving car with all the sensors and cameras that those have? Yes. Uh, so Tally has a myriad of sensors on it uh, today that helps it really understand the world around it. Uh, a lot of people ask when Tally runs. Uh, Tally is designed to operate alongside uh, customers and employees. Um, so it, the first step in onboarding Tally in a new store is really Tally learning the environment, which what we call mapping. Uh, so you bring Tally into the new environment and it starts mapping uh, the environment. It'll build essentially a very high fidelity uh, model uh, of what the store looks like. Uh, once we have that, we essentially identify where uh, the shelf segments or the areas of stores of the store we want to analyze um, and once we identify those regions we can essentially schedule tally on you know when it goes out and performs scans and captures uh, the way the robot works when it goes down the aisle to capture data is um, it's just kind of uh, briefly pausing at each shelf segment and capturing high fidelity imagery and then we're uploading that imagery to the cloud where we're processing for key insights like is the product properly stocked or you know is it out of stock is it in the right place um, and does it have the right price you know in stores like this um, you often have you know f potentially four to six thousand price changes every week um, so ensuring that all the promos are up in the right place is is just as important as ensuring you know the product is present so the analysis is not done on board the robot. It sends back these images. And is it an algorithm? It's not a person who then takes a look That's and says, correct. all right, the ravioli's <laughs> facing forward. Looks good. Yes. Um, it would be uh, a tsunami of data for, you know, uh, for humans to process. Uh, so we process the data algorithmically, and we're using uh, a combination of computer vision algorithms as well as machine learning uh, to help us identify, you know, what shelves look like, um, what shelf tags are, actually be able to decode all the information on the shelf tags, being able to identify products uh, based upon all the key features of the packaging, so shape color, size, branding, text, um, all of those bits and pieces allow us to cohesively, um, you know, analyze the state of merchandise on a shelf. What's next for the product? What do you hope to be able to do maybe in the next iteration? Yeah, so our focus today is, is really on sort of center store and packaged goods. Um, you know, we would like to provide uh, operational insight from, you know, sort of the entire store. So you could sort of imagine where we could go next uh, based upon sort of, you know, where we focus today. Uh, but our goal is, you know, really to help retailers, whether it's, um, you know, with the health and quality of, of produce, sort of safety in the store, um, you know, not only with things like sort of, you know, out of stocks, you know, pricing, promotional execution, those, those types of things. What happens 
it's not in this aisle. I don't know which aisle it's gone off to. But what happens when I walk up to one? Or if a shopper goes up and says, I want to sure. say hi to the robot, what, is, what does it do? Yeah, so Tally's designed to actually be a very shy robot. It's supposed to be a passive participant in the environment and really give preference to the customer and their shopping experience. Um, so uh, if you come into an aisle where Tally is and you actually step in front of the robot to grab a product, uh, the robot will actually, you know, yield to you, uh, either go around you or sort of exit that aisle because it's uh, essentially congested um, and will come back to that area at a later time when, you know, people aren't present. Uh, so it'll do its best to, uh, to stay out of uh, people's way. What's funny is as you're telling this to me behind you, he's come around the corner and is now sweeping up this aisle. And I think there was a father and son and the son was like staring at this robot as it uh as it moves up the aisle it looks like there are, are those eyes are those meant to be eyes on there yeah so the the goal was to kind of d design a robot that was really you know cute and friendly um and approachable in a way that helps communicate uh essentially what it's doing um, uh, you know, when people come out for milk, bread, and juice, you know, this morning, uh, you know, did, didn't think they would, you know, see a robot in the store. But, you know, what we find is uh, you know, most customers are incredibly welcoming and, you know, friendly uh, to this type of technology uh, as long as they understand es essentially what it's doing. Um, so as, as, as long as they understand the, the value it's providing, they, they know that it can help provide them a, a better customer experience. What do you think the grocery store of the future might look like? Especially as, as we see these stories come out about these Amazon stores where you don't even have to check out. It just senses when you take something off the shelf. I mean, we can see some of the future right here, but what do you think it's going to look like 10 years from now? To shop. Uh, people love to uh, see and experience, you know, what they're going to buy. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's hard to have the same experience in sort of an online online fashion. Um, so, you know, I don't think e-commerce is going to fully disrupt, especially sort of the grocery segment where things like freshness, quality, being able to pick out the fruits and vegetables that you like is so important. Um, but the type of technology we see coming into retail are things like greater mobile localization services. You know, most people have smartphones today, uh, so they carry around a very powerful computer in their pocket. So how about having that computer present in the store and such that you're walking down the store aisle, you can be presented, uh, you know, with the sale items or, you know, you just picked up this item, uh, you know have other sort of relevant sort of suggestions or targeted recommendations. Uh, a lot of people, if they come into a store environment, they often have challenge finding items until they uh, know where they're located. It's often called wayfinding. Um, so, you know, technology like the mobile phone, uh, in the future, things like AR glasses could be really assistive and, you know, helping to sort of maximize the customer experience and such that, you know, most customers would like to get in and out of a store of as quickly as possible. So giving them turn-by-turn -turn instructions, those sorts of things. Uh, the other trends we're seeing in retail is a much greater focus on things like click and collect, being able to order your groceries online and either having them, you know, delivered to your home through service providers like Instacart, which is uh, a Schnucks partner, um, or, you know, being able to pick up the groceries, you know, out, out front. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, a huge interest in, in sort of, you know, on-demand uh, as well. Are you aware of a St. Louis startup called Aisle 411? Yes, we are. Uh, you know, they're a great retail technology company, uh, you know, focused on tools 
almost like what I just described around uh, mobile localization services. Uh, so they've someone we've bumped into in the retail ecosystem a lot. Um, we're looking at ways you know we could potentially work together with the you know the data we're generating from the shelves uh, to help sort of in, improve the customer experience. Uh, but they're doing a lot of great work on the on the mobile side. So I, uh, I noticed they were familiar with aisle 411. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. St. Louis startups making waves. Well, I mean, if these robots are going to navigate through a store, they need to follow them. The Voice of the Blues, News Radio 1120 KMOX. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.